0: I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we are going to be primarily this evening. Uh, As we are going through this series of kingdom identity, who are you in the role of the bigger picture of the kingdom of God? What part do you play in that kingdom? We talked about this last week uh, when we went through the Lord's Prayer. And viewing the Lord's Prayer, when we take these three areas of our life, our uh, time and our resources and our abilities, and again, abilities, I've lumped talents, gifts, abilities, all of those things into that. What does it look like for us? So, who are you? Where do you find your identity? And then more specifically where we are tonight is where does your time spent or how, what does your time that you use say about you? Uh, what does it say that your desires and that your passions and, and what you love, what does that say about you when we evaluate our time? Remember last week we talked about our identity being found in a child of God. If you have made God the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, and you say, yes, I am a child of God, I am co-heirs with Jesus, when we say that, then we have to understand that God has given us very specific principles, that he has given us very specific guidelines by how we are to live. The problem that we run into is this choice that we make. God has given us very specific guidelines. He has given us uh, very specific principles. He has given us an entire book showing us how we should live. The problem is, is we look at that, we examine that, and then we're like, you know what I'm going to do? Whatever I want. Because that's better. But, and I mentioned this last week, as long, church-going people, if that's where you find yourself, and I know that's not everybody in this room, we become so good with excuses, right? You can agree with me. You know it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Sal will always disagree with everything I say. What we end up doing is we get so good at justifying why we do what we do that the longer we do it, We like build this volume of excuses and then we get so good, we tag scriptures onto them, right? Like, hey, I'm just trying to like live in the harvest, you know, just trying to be an everyday guy, just trying to fit in in this world, It's like that's great, we haven't seen you at church in two years, like I think you've accomplished your goal of fitting in with the world, you did it. Uh, We tag so many different things, we find excuses, we find reasons. And we're phenomenal at it, but when it really comes down to is, is there is a battle of kingdoms going on. God's kingdom and my personal kingdom. So how do we find how do we use our time wisely? And like I said, this series, I'm going to walk through the big picture of the whys the first couple weeks. We're going to look at the big theological picture of of why do we spend our time differently. And then we're going to come back through, and as the uh, great, brilliant Will Davis says, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. Like uh, the second part of all these these series we're going through is going to get into the but now what? Or how do I live differently uh, in everyday life? So again, this is the big picture. This is the why, if you will. So what I'm calling this is the battle of busyness. The battle of busyness. Uh, We'll start with why do we use or why do we invest our time in the kingdom of God and why is this important? And then we're going to come back and say, how do I invest and how do I use my time for the kingdom of God in a couple weeks? But here's the crazy thing. We have busied our lives up with inventions that were meant to give us more time. We have busied our lives up with things that were invented so that we could have more time in our day. And we said, yes, I'll take more. Keep them coming. And I very rarely meet somebody, and I actually can still remember both those guys, Ben and Matt, who came up to me at our church in Virginia and just said, hey, we got a lot of spare time. What can we do? What can we do to help the, help the church? Spent my entire life in church, spent my entire life working with people. I've never said that. Uh, those words have never escaped my mouth, right? Like, that's basically sin to me. If you're, like, have free time, like, you're in deep sin. And that's just how my brain works. It's not correct, by the way. They're like, hey, we're students, but we don't have jobs. Like, what can we do? Ben and Matt are the two greatest guys in the world. They... They really were. I mean, so it became a challenge to me. Like, what can I give these guys to do? They did everything. They just were so convicted at 20 years old about how they can use their time best for the Lord. Then you have, and I said we're going to be really personal through this. I'm going to explain all the times I felt unbelievably convicted. One, especially with the use of time, just happened about a month ago. I had a elective medical procedure done. Uh, For those of you on the podcast, I had hair transplants and Botox in my forehead and upper lips. (laughs) I may be lying about what was exactly done, but I had three days of doing nothing. I had three days I had to hide from my children and their elbows and knees and feet and hands and fists. So we took my frog and I went up and lived in the frog for three days. I brought all these books up there. I've now made a makeshift office up there. Um, And I was like, I'm going to get all these books that I've wanted to read for so long done. I brought my journaling Bible up there. This is gonna be amazing. What is the one thing that this place is missing? I know the 50 inch television from my garage. It's not actually mine. All those TVs we had at Oak Brook Community Church, uh, Mark asked me to hold on to those, so it's that's it's not even my TV, that one up there. Guess how many books I read, zero. Guess how many lines I read in any book, zero. I got caught up on so many movies and shows over the course of the next three days. (laughs) And again, this is like, looking back, I was like, I have excused every single one of them. Like, I did it. All the stuff that I'm talking about, remember last week I said I feel useless and I feel like the biggest hypocrite when I'm up here telling you, like, hey, don't live like this. I just did this a month ago. I didn't read one verse in the Bible in three days. So when I'm talking to you, just know it's coming from a confessional standpoint. And it's funny to laugh at, but man, how do we evaluate our time? How do we really look at how we spend our time for the kingdom of God? Because I wasted three days that I don't get back. It's the battle of busyness. We've busied our lives up. Uh, many years ago, Neil McGlowan, one of my favorite people in the world, Uh, uh, filled in for me and he said, uh, he was on staff at a different church, now he's at a different church, but he said um, he always hears when um, like their interns or like their younger staff are always like talking about how busy they are and he'll wait like a week or two. And then he'll go up to him and say like, hey, I have some time off coming up, what shows should I binge watch? What should I watch? He goes, the people that say they're the busiest always have the most recommendations. And then he'll stop and be like, hey, two weeks ago you said you were too busy to do this how did you watch five seasons of this in two weeks? I was like, that's brilliant. I'm stealing that. So we have busied our lives up with things that were invented so we could have more time, yet the things that sometimes get sacrificed is the exact things that God wants as the precedent in our lives. The things that we are most willing to give up also tells us what we actually care about and what we desire. So join with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 13. Uh, As you're turning there, just know the first 12 verses, uh, Peter is greeting the recipients of this letter, and then he is explaining to them who they are now in Christ. And he says things like, you have been born again into a living hope and he is explaining now that you have accepted Christ as your as your leader as the forgiver of sins and leader of your life this is now who he is to you so when we get to this verse 13 we're going to see that word therefore meaning because of all this now this so join with me now that you've been saved now you've been born again to a living hope uh all, you have now have salvation you've been saved from sin and death therefore verse 13 with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform, I'm going to stop there, as obedient children goes back to the Lord's Prayer when we say, our Father, that has so much more of a title to it than we think. We think of our earthly dad. Maybe you have a great relationship with your earthly dad. Maybe you have a terrible relationship with your earthly dad. Uh, In this case, this is a perfect, loving, creator, author, and perfecter of life, father who only wants the best for you, knows how he has designed you very specifically and very intimately to fulfill the purpose that he has for you. That term when we see father, talking about our father God, should overwhelm you with joy, should overwhelm you with thankfulness, and should overwhelm you with this intimate, personal love that only a creator of something that he has created can have. So as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, again, all of this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the command. Be holy, for I am holy. That's what God has called us to do. Easy, right? We did it. Be holy, for I am holy. How do we pursue holiness in this specific area of time? The time that we have been given. That word holy is literally a a set apart for a special purpose. God is holy. God is uh, the word I am. When he, God refers to himself, he says, I am the I am. That is where we get the word Jehovah from. I am holy. He is holiness. He is righteousness. That's who he is. And he's saying, I am holy, and now I'm asking you, if you believe in me and thy spirit is alive in you, now you be holy. Now you pursue holiness in your life. You pursue holiness in how you use your time. What's very important is that set apart for a special purpose. We really need to understand that. I said last week in the book Unique, Will Mancini said that only you, God has created you to be a professional you, not to be a professional somebody else, but God has designed you. He knows what you've experienced in life. He knows what you've been through. He knows how he loves you and how he's designed you and the gifts that he's given to you to be used for his glory, for his purpose. Can you understand what that means for your identity, that your identity in Christ is so intimately specific how God designed you? And then when you call on him, he's now saying, now I have set you apart for this special purpose of glorifying me in only the way that you have been designed to. It took me a long time to understand that. I still don't. I still want to be that other guy because he's got it figured out. We all tend to have this viewpoint of other people that we think have it, and we try to align our lives like theirs, and God's saying, no, I designed you to be specifically you the way that I designed you. Be set apart for my glory and how I have designed you. Here's another part that's hard for us to understand. When it comes to managing our time, you don't need another app. You don't need a better calendar, you don't need better color coding, you don't need whatever it is that you use to map out your time to try so that you can spend more time doing the things that are important. Here's what you need. You need a new heart. You need a heart that pursues holiness and hears and listens to and seeks out God, and you'll be amazed how everything else falls into place. So it's not this, here's what you do, write down this and allow yourself 15 minutes incre- No, follow after God. Pursue holiness in every aspect of your life. Pursue holiness in your time and allow that to dictate to you how you now view time. View time through the lens of God calling on your life, the specific way that he has made you to be used for his glory, and allow that to impact you in how you live and what you pursue and what you desire. We see another reference to God as Father. Look in verse 17. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, we were created for good works. That's not like, hey, good job, buddy. That's righteous works that God has designed for you. Next time we talk about this, we're going to be in Ephesians quite a bit. In Ephesians 2.10, after the beginning of Ephesians, where it's this beautiful picture of what the gospel is, and he says things like, but God even though you were dead in your sins but God loved you so much and because God is so rich in grace and mercy and God has allowed Jesus to be put to death so that you now can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed and he defeated death when he rose again and then you get to verse 10 and it says you were created before the foundations of the world You were created for specific good works that God has designed you, has allowed you to experience the things that you've experienced because God has designed you in this intimate, loving way to be doing these works that will point back to God's glory. You were created for good works. He is a Father, but He's also a Father who judges each person's work impartially. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, that hallowed be your name is holy, out of reverent fear is your name. Your will be done, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, help us to obey you like the angels do in heaven. When God says, I have good works for you that I have designed, before I separated light and darkness, I already knew you. I had already designed you, I already knew what you'd go through in your life, and now I have a purpose for that. the end of that verse 17, he says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now that you have this father, who has designed good works for you to do, live out your time. What is our time like? Uh, I don't think anybody here has an expiration date that they know about. If you drop down uh, later on in chapter 1, he says all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. That's a really nice terminology, by the way. Some versions just say the grass withers and the flowers die. That's what he's talking about. You don't know how long you have here on earth. So whatever time that you have, live it out as foreigners. Has anyone ever been a foreigner somewhere? Here's your hand. Have you ever felt out of place as a foreigner somewhere? I can tell you many stories, because I'm the most stereotypically white guy American when I travel. There's so many. But the one that I've chosen, which is safe for all audiences, (laughs) is I was in the Czech Republic visiting my wife's family. Uh, We've been married a couple years. And my uh, brother-in-law, Travis, and a lot of you know, Timia, uh, they kept saying, stop smiling when you get on the public bus. Stop looking at people in the eyes, smiling, and ask them how they're doing in English. I'm like, I- I'm trying. I'm built this way. I can't help it. I sincerely want to know how they're doing. They hate me now. Uh, okay, one other story. We went down to Argentina, and it was in 2002. And there was, uh, the Argentine government had collapsed, and it was a lot of, if you saw after Argentina uh, won the World Cup, that huge uh, place outside of the palace that was filled with like millions of people cheering, because they won. Picture that crowd, but they all hate me. And when I say that, I mean it, because here's what happened. We were down there in Buenos Aires, and we were walking, and the tour guide was with us, and we were walking through this alley to go see this very famous square outside of the palace. And as we're getting closer, it is filled with angry mobs of people protesting because the government had collapsed. Uh, tons of embezzlement had happened, and it all just came uh, to the forefront. So we'd walk and the tour guide would stop us, and then he'd walk back out between the buildings, look at the square, and he'd be like, okay. So we walk out. Well, it was in the middle of the afternoon, and the protesters were tired from being so angry for so many days. So they had started to rest. Then we walked out into the sunlight. I wish it was like this visual picture, into the sunlight. And it felt like every eye turned on me. But then you're like, I'm exaggerating this, right? Like, not all of them are looking at me. And the tour guide saw it all, and he goes, we have to leave because of him. (laughs) Nobody in Argentina wanted to see a big, happy, smiling American after their government. So we literally turned around, went back to the van, we had to leave, we had to get out of the city. And I can keep going on because the next year I happened to be in Brazil when the war in Iraq broke out. And that's a whole nother story. So I have tons of these stories of feeling like a foreigner out, like it just stands out, I'm different. And God is now telling you and he's telling us that if we are to pursue holiness, just know that you are to live out your time and you're going to stand out as foreigners here, meaning on earth. Why? You are representing one kingdom, the kingdom of God. And if you are in the kingdom of people living for themselves, who are following the, the, well, Satan, who is the power of the air at this time, who has rule over the earth, and if you fit in great here, You're doing it wrong, right? Like, that's one of those spiritual excuses that we have. Well, I'm just trying to be, you know, to the Jew, a Jew, and a Greek, a Greek. You know, that's what Paul said. No, he was living as a foreigner, right? Like, Paul did. He loved people. Paul used his different capabilities that he had with his Roman citizenship, and because he was a Pharisee, he used all those things. But that guy got beat up a lot. Why? Because he was pursuing holiness, even when he was being beaten in all these different cities, even when he was lined up to be put to death on numerous places, when he was dragged outside of the city and had stones hurled at his head until they left him for dead, he wasn't angry at the people doing it to him. He understood that, Ephesians 6, that they were just obeying their father, and he was obeying his, and it's going to look different, and there's going to be consequences. He was living as a foreigner. He had a Roman citizenship, that was rare, especially for a Jewish person. He was highly educated, but he was pursuing holiness, and it would eventually cost him his life. He was living as a foreigner here on earth. Have you ever examined your personal culture? Because we can talk about different countries, but maybe there's just a different culture when it comes to dealing with your in-laws. There's a different culture when it comes to just dealing in the new neighborhood you just moved into. There's different cultures all around us, but how are you living in a way that you stand out for good, by the way? That you stand out because of the way that you have aligned your time to pursue holiness. That you stand out because the things that you're committed to and the things that take priority in your schedule are different from... Your neighbors are different from the people that you spend time with. To the point where they're asking why. Why do you put a priority on that? And then, what kingdom are you representing with your time? If you're living as a foreigner here on earth, what kingdom are you actually representing? Which kingdom? Is it King Jesus wins out? Or is it King Rob? Or King you? Fill in the blank. Whose kingdom are you really trying to build? Whose kingdom gets the most amount of time spent on building it? Let's continue on. Verse 18 at the end. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You were redeemed, that word bought back, that story of redemption. We talked about this several weeks ago. In the Bible, you'll find the story of redemption uh, starting in Genesis chapter 3 and continues to Revelation chapter 21. All of that is the story of redemption. The Bible is the story of how people can be redeemed. The worst people, the people that think they're not good enough or the people that think too highly of themselves, they are constantly being redeemed because of the blood of a sacrificial lamb. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be redeemed, and so Peter is instructing the people of this letter, hey, just remember that you have been redeemed. All those pursuits that you had beforehand, you don't have to do them anymore. All the stuff that you thought was going to bring you happiness here on earth, and as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, but ended up you were just chasing the wind, you were chasing after stuff that has no eternal significance, you were chasing stuff that as soon as you got it, found out it wasn't enough, so you started to chase more of that, whatever that is. You were redeemed from that. You've been bought with the precious blood of Christ away from that to live differently. You were redeemed from that empty way of life. And he says, handed down to you from your ancestors. Speaking of culture, we have this culture and this inheritance that we got from our parents and our grandparents called sin. And it's been passed down generation to generation. Some of us have been even shown how to sin and how to deal with things in our life in a sinful way. It's been handed down to us from our ancestors. I found it very interesting. I should have written it down and I didn't, but there was a uh, French, I believe he was a sociologist or philosopher, and he came to the United States, and I guess he had traveled all over the world, uh, and he came to the United States and did a study. He traveled all around the United States, and his findings were this. Americans are the most... Selfish people he's ever seen in his entire life, in all of his studies. That everything that Americans do is pursuing their own happiness and pursuing their own joy. They don't mind stepping on whoever they need to step on to make sure that they're happy. What's shocking about that statement is he wrote that in the 1830s. Cultures don't get better over time, by the way, if you're wondering. So our ancestors, if you're from this country or the Western world, that's what's been handed down to us time after time after time. You know what you deserve? To be happy. You know what justification we come up with when God's called us to something? Well, God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be joyful, but you don't become joyful pursuing earthly happiness. You become joyful by pursuing holiness. So we are redeemed from the empty way of life, That empty way of life, by the way, was handed down to us, but we've been redeemed from it. We've been redeemed, we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can live differently. And then drop down, chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is Good. Key phrase there. Grow up. Grow up in your salvation. Grow in your pursuit of holiness. By the way, after tonight, if you come up to me like, by the way, I did it. I'm holy. You're a liar. Just That's going to be my response, by the way. Save you the time and effort. But I want to go back to before I grew up in your salvation. How many of you have ever in your life, and I want you to be really, really honest, have ever seen a baby? (laughs) Okay. There's one back there, if you're wondering. Here's the thing. No, Jose? You've never seen one? I'll get pictures. Babies really like to eat. In fact, kind of controls their life when they're first born. They really like to eat, and they notify you. They'll shoot you a text. Hey, Mom, hungry again? It sounds a lot like this. They want milk and they want it now. They don't care if you're trying to sleep, they don't care what else you had on your schedule, they want milk and they are going to notify you in an unbelievably pre-designed, annoying way so that you can't help but notice. Why? Well, they've had it before. They need it again. And again, it doesn't matter what your schedule is, they must have it now. So when we see that like newborn babies, we are to crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, that should be how we react. That if we've gone too long, we understand nothing else in life matters, we must have that. Take whatever it is you want away from me, but I need that pure spiritual milk milk. That's my craving. That's my desire. That's my passion. Why? That's how you grow up in your salvation. When we align our hearts with God, all of a sudden our passions and desires change. Our pursuit of holiness changes. It's no longer a pursuit of earthly happiness. It's now a pursuit of holiness, and we are willing to do whatever it takes to get that that we will get to that pure spiritual milk that only God offers in His Word. That's why He says just above that. Everything in life is going to pass away. The Word of God will endure forever. The kingdom of God endures forever. How are we spending our time when it comes out to map out our day, our week, our morning, whatever it is? How are we demonstrating that our life, we crave that pure spiritual milk, we crave and desire the things that God craves and desires, and so how now do Do we live? That passage, hopefully if you didn't get those cards, everybody get the cards that we handed out. We handed them out last week and I did a quick survey. Turns out you're going to do them again this week and a lot of you are going to do it for the first time. That was it. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) Somebody out there. (laughs) We had these cards. um, That's not it. I have all my cards in here. We will have them. Did everybody get those? Yeah, raise your hand up, Chris. Did everybody get one of these when you came in? All right, yeah, raise your hand. If you're just staring with your hands down, it's... All right, if you haven't gotten, get one of those. That's what we're going to go through in our community groups. That's what we're going to be walking through during this entire series. There's uh, five different days that we are asking you to get into the Word on your own and answer these same questions repeatedly. But one of those passages that goes up with grow up in your salvation, we read it last week, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we talked about how that passage, and again, hopefully you have a pen and you're writing this down, that is a continual growth It is laid out like a ladder, like rungs on a ladder. Add to your goodness, patience. Add to your patience, love. Add to your love. And then at the end, it says, and when you've done all these things, do it again. Continue to grow. It is a lifelong process. As human beings, we don't like that. Like, give me an end date. Tell me when I've checked the last box off and I did it. The way that this works is we are continually shown grace and mercy from God so that we can continue to grow as we pursue holiness. He knows you're going to mess up, but don't stand still. Romans 6.1, shall I continue sinning that grace may increase? No, may it never be. Continue to grow in these things. Grow up in your salvation. Charles Spurgeon pastor from england in the 1800s he wrote a christian sluggard is there such a being a christian man on half time a christian man working not at all for his lord how shall i speak of him time does not tarry death does not tarry hell does not tarry satan is not lazy all the powers of darkness are busy how is it that you and i can be sluggish if the master has put us into his vineyard, surely we must be void of understanding if, after being saved by the infinite love of God, we do not spend and be spent in his service. 1 Peter 5, later on in this book, tells us, Satan roars, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He wants you he wants your time the lion always finds the weakness and goes for it that's satan he's not lazy all of his forces are coming for you they're finding the weakness they're pouncing on it and they're trying to destroy it There's a wonderful book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald S. Whitney. By the way, if you want books on any of the stuff we're talking about, I can give them to you. By that, I mean I'll give you the title, you buy it, because if I buy it, you probably won't read it. I want you to invest in it. (laughs) Donald S. Whitney in uh, this book, he says, time appears to be so plentiful that losing much of it seems inconsequential, but money is easily wasted as well. And if people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. Yet time is infinitely more precious than money because money can't buy time. So Get out those pens or iPads or phones. Here's some questions that I want you to walk through this week. Talk with them with your family, talk them with your community groups. Number one. Does your use of time reflect that you are pursuing holiness or earthly happiness? As you evaluate your time, what does it reflect? That you are pursuing holiness or earthly happiness? Does your time reflect that you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Does your time reflect that you crave pure spiritual milk on a daily basis? we have a saying we try to say it all the time the gospel is always about sacrifice and humility not comfort and privilege two questions what do you sacrifice time for or another way to put it is what do you reschedule for what things get canceled so you can do this thing what thing are you willing to put off so that this thing gets done that will tell you what you worship That will tell you what you desire, that will tell you what you love, that will tell you what you are passionate about. Then along with those questions, and these might be on that um, paper, these are questions for your community group, family, ask your parents, roommates, children. Number one, what are you hearing from God? And you may actually want to start by taking the first word off and just say, are you hearing from God? Are you giving God the time to talk to you? Uh, speaking of being highly convicted, I was sitting in a meeting with uh, another pastor, uh, one of the leaders in his church, and another Christian leader in the community. And the Christian leader in the community was asking a couple questions about, hey, what if I started doing this? I just wanted your guys' uh, input on this. I was invited into this meeting, which I realized like I shouldn't be here, one of those. And the two other leaders were saying, hey, why are you looking to spend more time You don't have time to enjoy the things that God has given you already. Like, you don't have the time to do this. And they said, when's the last time you took, like, a personal retreat? When's the last time you just took, like, four days just to go hear from God? The man's going, well, I've really never done that. And he goes, well, it's because our culture views that as laziness. But it's not. Like, because when do you get your best thoughts? Do you get, like, your best thoughts? And I'm asking you, would you get your best thoughts when you are, like, driving in the car, or like, a lot of things I later add to my message come when I'm taking a shower. And they're asking him, like, do you get your best thoughts when you're in the shower? Do you get your best thoughts when you're driving? He's like, yeah. He goes, so that's like, what, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes? What if you gave God a day? What if you gave God a week that you just sat down with a Bible, read his word, prayed, and listened to him? And I'm over on the side going, like, ee. Yeah, man, you should do that. That's what you need. Right? Am I right, already? I walked away so convicted. To me, time alone sounds like torture. My worst place in the world that I hate going is the library. Everyone's quiet, but there's people and nobody's talking to each other. That's weird. That's not how it's supposed to be. At least in my, in my opinion what are you hearing from God or are you hearing from God? Number two, how are you being challenged? How are you being challenged? Write down the answers to these. How are you being challenged when we look at 1 Peter, when we look at pursuing holiness, when we evaluate how are we pursuing holiness in our time and then we go and we listen to God. What is God telling you? What is God challenging you with uh, uh, in regards to use of your time? And then number three, What needs to happen for you to obey? What needs to happen in your life for you to obey him and what he's challenging you on? You might also wanna say, what do you need to say no to? What do you need to say yes to? What are the things that you have just busied up your life so much in this battle of busyness that the one thing that you forgot to do was pursue holiness? By the way, we'll get into this more, but the thing that he won't tell you to say no to are the things he's told you to do. I wanna close with words from a great philosopher of our time. He said, when I hoard my time, I am living in an empty way. When I look and evaluate my time in my life. You see, I have never, and I've worked with a lot of people I've never worked with a hoarder who thought they were a hoarder. I've never worked with somebody who has, in my opinion, so many useless things that they have piled up on top of each other that you can't walk through the house. Uh, A couple months ago, Derek and I were helping another church, somebody in the church who, they were hoarders. And the amount of stuff, like we had to walk through it and use our legs to move stuff out of the way just to get from room to room and move all sorts of bottles and cans and move all sorts of racks and carts just to get to the cupboard doors where we opened up and just found food that had been opened years ago and then put back in the cupboard. I mean, the amount of stuff we found was alarming. So that's the picture when I heard this. We do that with our time. God gives us, he gifts us time on earth to be used for his glory, to be used in the pursuit of holiness, and we just cram it up using it inappropriately, using it incorrectly. It gets smelly and stinky and rotten. Why? But we've spent so much on it. But we've just been investing in the wrong kingdom. We thought all these things would bring us happiness, so we just went and got more time. We spent more and more time in the way that we thought we should spend it. We hoard it. When I hoard my time, I'm living in an empty way. I am pursuing the things that everybody else around me is pursuing that doesn't know God, I am not living as a foreigner in this land. This was said by Liz Bell, by the way. She actually wouldn't put that on the slides and so in between services, I had the guys up there put it in there. But as we were talking and going through this message and as we were talking through what does this look like, Liz just blurted this out. When I hoard my time, I am living in an empty way. She also hates when we point her out and compliment her in public, so we do it all the time. How are you using the time that God has gifted you? How are you pursuing holiness? And again, I'm not, this week is not me saying like, and this is what your life should look like. This is you hearing from God, talking to God, and allowing God to speak to you. How are you pursuing holiness with your time? Lord, I thank you so much that you are a loving and gracious and merciful God. Lord, I think of David's words in Psalm 103. I thank you that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. I thank you that you are gracious, that we can call upon you, that we can confess to you, and that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from righteousness. I thank you for David at Psalm 51 that says, Cleanse my heart, create in me a new heart, O God, that I can pursue you. Lord, I pray that we do not leave here without hearing from you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who is alive and active. Lord, I I pray that if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to follow after you, to make you the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life, that they would not leave here tonight without calling out to you. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.